Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Good morning and thank you for your time this morning there. So just as a very brief background, I set up uh, Interaqua and the trading company Synergist back in 2012 and I've been CEO since then. Prior to that, I had uh, experience in private sector, but also working in central government as well. So hi, I'm Ian Richardson. I joined uh, Mitesh and the team just over 12 months ago. And prior to that, I had eight years as CFO of a private equity-backed business in uh, legal services. So what we're going to try and do is take you through and give you an understanding of what it is Enerequa does in the world of energy and water. Talk about our trading and our FY22 numbers. Uh, there, and then move on to look at what's the current trading for this year and next year looking like, and then what's our strategy for the future. So in terms of our story, we started in 2012. Originally, we were a consultancy advising people on district heating systems and how to improve them or to renew them there. We were working with a Dutch company, HEP, on an independent, pressure independent flow controller unit that came on stream in 2017. And at that time, we transitioned to becoming a full turnkey provider for our clients, designing and delivering district heating systems there, and subsequently, ground source heat pump systems and air source heat pump systems as well. We also moved into the area of water efficiency as well. So in terms of our clients, Predominantly, we work for local authorities and public sector and the energy and water utilities there. But we also work for hotel groups like NH and commercial clients like Sodexo as well. So the two areas we work in are in energy and in water. And our trading name for our clients is Synergist. Along both sides, our technology, Control Flow HL2024, is used and plays a, a really important role, as we'll explain in a moment there. Energy is really around the generation and management of hot water or heating systems for residential or commercial buildings. So just water is really about making existing water systems more efficient. And you can see at the bottom the sort of clients that we work for. So just Energy. This is the largest area of our operations there. And in terms of financial year 22, water wasn't a material area. But as I'll explain in a moment, it is going to be this year there. So in energy, we work with clients that have end-of-life systems. We don't work in new build, and we don't work in speculative upgrades, etc. We work for people whose heating and hot water systems for their block of flats or their commercial site has come to end-of-life and needs to be replaced. And the reason we do that is that it gives us capital certainty that the client's got the money and the client's got to spend the money because otherwise they can't rent the property. Our technology control flow 2024 basically controls the volume of water going into a property there very accurately. So there's pressure independence, so despite fluctuations in input pressure, and you'd see those, for example, in your house, or if you turn on the kitchen tap at night, the actual flow constantly changes as people in the house flush the toilet, etc. What our technology does 
is it eliminates those fluctuations and gives you an accurate flow of water coming through the tap or into the property as a whole. And this is important when you're designing systems because these systems are designed to meet the hot water demand in a property. They're designed in a block of flats, for example, to supply enough hot water so everybody can have a shower in the morning. Because we know the exact amount of hot water that a property is going to consume, the maximum demand, we can design our systems very efficiently. And that gives us an edge when we're talking to clients. It allows us, for example, in a block of flats, to route our pipework inside the property rather than fitting it externally to give us a cost advantage. And that's the principal reason why you see such strong margins there. It also means that the amount of hot water being consumed in a flat can be reduced. And we'll talk about that a little later on there because that has important benefits as well. So when we go to talk to clients now who've got end-of-life systems, all of them have got net zero targets. These systems have a lifetime of 25, 30 years. And our clients have got net zero targets starting in 2035 or so. So they want to fit systems that have the least carbon emissions if possible. And typically, the best technology in this respect is a ground source pump. You can see a schematic of that in the top right there. And essentially what we're doing is we're extracting heat from the ground. And that's shown in the boreholes that are shown in that drawing. And we're taking that heat and that temperature of water comes out at about 15 Celsius or so. And we have a heat pump at each flat, which is like the size of your gas boiler. And that concentrates the heat to provide heating either through radiators or through an underfloor solution. And it also provides instantaneous hot water as well. So this is the best low carbon solution available there. And as I say, this is a choice for most of our clients if they can fit it in that site. Now, at some of our sites, you haven't got the ground area available to drill the boreholes. So in that case, our clients are looking at air source heat pump systems. And they sit in the plant room and the ground floor heat up a ring bed of very hot water and that's circulated around the building with an offtake at every flat. The next option is a hybrid solution. So some gas boilers and some heat pumps. And this is for clients who are perhaps a little nervous can the heat pump cope with the demand. And finally, some rarely our clients can still ask for a high-efficiency gas-fired system. And that's got a plant room, as you can see in the image there, of gas boilers. And that circulates a ring main of hot water around the building there. Now, compared to the legacy systems, these gas systems are very efficient and reduce gas consumption by about 51 to 52%. And this is based on metered data across three calendar years. So they're very, very efficient, but they're not the best in terms of carbon. That is a crowd source heat pump. And given the right price rises on gas, again, where people are concerned about energy bill for their residents, again, a ground source heat pump gives them usually the best outcome there. We as a company, we're tech agnostic. We advise customers all the options that are available and then deliver for them the solution that they want. And that's a major difference, perhaps, to other companies that try and focus on a single technology only. Water 
So our technology, because it controls the flow rate coming into a property, it also means that people get a very fantastic service. 98.5% of residents are very happy with our products and the supply of water service to their property after it's been installed. But because they're very happy, we can actually reduce the flow rate a little, still making sure they achieve and receive the service that they want, but substantially cutting the water demand in that property. And typically, based on water meter data, probably install our products going into a property just by the stock crop at the main water inlet. Based on water meter data, they're reducing their water consumption by around 22 to 26%. So it's a substantial water saving, yet 98.5% of people are very happy with their water service. So we're supplying them the water that they need, but reducing a lot of water consumption. If you install our technology in tuna accommodation like Sodexo asked us to do, then the savings are even greater at around 30%. Our technology is also used by the hotel sector. We've all been in hotels where you've got a thermostatic shower, but because somebody in the room next door flushes their toilet, the pressure of cold water supply to your shower drops. And as a result, your thermostatic shower can't react fast enough it jumps up in temperature by about typically seven Celsius. The thermostat shower then recovers, the pressure comes back, you've got too much cold, it becomes too cold. That bloop is super annoying. We have a product set in using our technology that the hotel sector uses to control the flow going into the bathroom, and it effectively eliminates this issue with the variation in temperature dropping from seven to nine Celsius to less than 0.6 and you can't detect that change on your skin. And when we first did that, the hotel client ran around the room, ran around his hotel, flushing toilets, trying to recreate it, before he accepted that actually that source of complaints was removed with our technology. And they also save lots of energy, lots of water, but this is commercially sensitive for them, so they don't want to tell us. So our technology, because of water stress, Water saving is becoming increasingly important. You'll have seen the headlines in places like the US and Europe. Our technology can help our clients meet their water efficiency targets now and yet maintain user comfort. So what is our technology? The product shown in the bottom right, this is the product that we install for mains cold water inlet and managing hot water demand for our energy systems there. We have other products that we'll show you in a moment that you can install alongside the water meter for properties and then typical cold water supply going into property. And as I say, it eliminates flow fluctuations caused by pressure variation. When it's been tested by independent test houses, this is the only product that they certify as being a pressure-independent flow controller. Are there competitive products there? Yes, there is. They're based, if you look at that bottom roundle, on a product produced by that company, Neopo. And Neopo's product and our product differ in a number of areas. Their product is much cheaper than ours. It relies on a plastic unit there, and the plastic basically squashes up and down as the pressure changes. And that tries to give you a pressure-independent flow control. In testing, what you see is a variation of up to 10 to 20% in flow control there. 
but that product is not cheaper and that application is suitable for things like taps or boilers, but you're not worried about the flow fluctuation to that degree that we are. Our technology is a stainless steel disc that moves up and down inside a shaped housing area, and the fluctuation is less than 3%. The other companies shown, Danfoss, Calliope, etc., they produce what are called pressure control valves. They reduce the pressure, but they don't control the flow. But sometimes they can get mixed up. In terms of energy, sort of companies that we compete against in terms of the heat pump area, etc., are companies like Angie or Vital, RSK or Kenza. And finally, we're tech agnostic. We deliver solutions that our clients want. We don't try and sell them a particular technology. In terms of growth for us, it's as you'd imagine. For our energy side, it's around climate change and the targets that people are trying to meet, as you can see. This is driving the take-up of heat pump solutions. But in addition, people are worried about household energy bills, particularly after the energy spike. And again, crowdsource heat pumps are a very good way of reducing energy bills. And finally, there's a desire to reduce exposure to international fossil fuel markets. In terms of water, the driver around it is really around the fact that water resources are under great stress, created by climate change, but it means that regulators, water eaters, etc., are getting worried in that area. We've announced two RNSs around agritech and net water neutrality, and I'll come to those in a moment there. These things are growing our market substantially. ESG, as you can imagine, we're very compliant with ESG. 99.5% of our revenues qualified for the green economy mark. So the pie chart is UK social housing apartment blocks only, and the spend is the renewal of heating hot water systems that are of end of life. So traditionally, we work in the first three segments there. But what's happening is our clients are saying to us, well, you've got apartments with individual gas boilers in each flat, that they want to take those out as well. Ideally fitting a ground source heat pump solution or a district heating system there. And the driver for that is to reduce gas consumption and reduce the energy bills that their tenants are facing there. So we're seeing that growth in our dress on the market into the dark blue right now. The cost of a ground source heating system compared to a gas fired system is, of course, slightly higher. Typically, on a per flat basis, Ground source heat pump system will cost 20 to 24,000 pounds a flat compared to 14 to 16,000 pounds for a gas fired solution there. To bridge that gap, the UK government has introduced a number of incentives that you can see in the top right there. And we help our clients identify the best solution for them to help meet that cost. And that's part of the service that we provide. At IPA, we announced our plans to expand our energy offering into the EU. And in the EU, the individual countries have similar net zero targets as well and similar incentive programs as well. Turning over to Ian. So in terms of the last financial year, a strong performance for the year. We gave some tough targets, which we achieved, and those were in line with expectations. So revenue was 36.2 million, 148% increase from FY21 levels. Uh, this was achieved with a gross margin of approximately 40%, which allowed us to report an adjusted EBITDA of 6.7 million. 
This 6.7 million figure is an increase of over 400% from the 1.3 million reported in FY21. And the adjusted EBITDA figure is after 1.2 million of costs in connection with the IPO. This gave the group an adjusted EBITDA margin of 19%, which is more than double that was achieved in FY21. And as a result of this, in an acceleration of the plans that we laid out at IPO, it's our intention to declare a modest final dividend of one pay per share, some 12 months ahead of expectations. Don't you meet our numbers then? Manage, um, as I say, was the largest part of the activity that we did last year. And we did a number of domestic projects, as you can see, commercial clients included Cordedale and Sunderland as well. And that allowed us to make substantial investments to drive the ongoing growth. And we'll show you that when Ian takes you through the financial numbers. In terms of water, we're two years behind because of COVID on water. A lot of our clients shut down their operations because they were coping with the pandemic. At the time of our IPO, we thought water would become a material part of our business next year, financial year 24. What I'm pleased to say, sitting standing in front of you today, is that it will become material this year. And you can see some of the technology we've carried on developing, and we spent about 1.4, 1.6 million pounds a year on R&D. And you can see the product we developed last year, which is the meter-safe product. This is our technology delivers the same outcome, but the difference is you can fit it with the water meter outside the property under the pavement. So it reduces installation costs, reduces hassle for the householder. And the water companies, as you can imagine, have a lot of interest in this product, which will start to come on stream middle of H2. We also completed two important acquisitions, HEP, which is to acquire all the IP in the technology, and Wealthum. Both of them are a grant source borehole drilling company, and we acquired them because right now there's a real pinch point in the supply chain. And therefore, by having our in-house capability, it allows us to give our clients certainty of delivery for their grant source heat pump systems. And we've carried on as they're making major investments in our capability. So just to add a little bit more detail to some of the financials, as I previously mentioned, our revenue grew by 148%. As you can see, their gross margin was just over 40%. But whilst down from FY21 levels, it's still some five percentage points ahead of market forecast at the time of IPO. So that margin improvement has largely been achieved through improved profitability on certain contracts when compared to what was assumed at the time of the IPO. And that's largely down to our project management teams and their capabilities to delivering projects on time and within budget. But as you can see, our main expenses have increased by four and a half million, and that reflects the impact of wages and wage inflation, both for existing and new team members, as well as a significant growth in headcount. In FY21, we had 43 team members, and in January 22, that number had increased to 113, as we brought in the team needed to deliver the FY23 forecasts. Despite this increase in costs, the group still delivered profit before tax of 4.1 million, a 414% growth from FY21 and 1.2 million ahead of market forecasts. We also achieved an EPS of 18.2 AP, which was also ahead of forecast as we benefited from an R&D tax credit for the year. <clears throat> Moving on to the balance sheet, uh, just to draw attention to a couple of items. Trade receivables, you can see there significant increase from last year 
last large year was a result of the growth of the business from that 14 million to 36 million turnover business, and also an increase in the average size of projects that we currently undertake. For 21, the average project side was circa a million pounds, and that's now increased. The year just ended to two and a half million. Pleased to say, though, turn this financial year, all of those receivables, bar the retention elements, have now been collected. The other point to highlight is our new six million loan facility with HSBC, which was secured in March, and that's a straightforward four-year term loan. Moving on to the cash bridge, uh, broadly cash neutral for the year. So whilst operations generated three million pounds and we generated a net 10 million from the listing, the repayment of our existing five million loan facility, which we had pre-IPO, the acquisition of both HGP and Wealthurm, along with the planned CapEx in UK and Spain, saw us utilise those funds, such that we ended the year with group cash balances of four million. In terms of some of the specifics in the cash flow statement, uh, just highlight that improvement in cash generation from operations, change from a small outflow in FY21 to a three million pound inflow in the year just finished. The total acquisition payments for HGP and Wealthurm were 5.1 million, and post year end, the remaining element of the HGP deferred consideration has now been paid, and the Wealthurm deferred consideration payments continue to be made in line with the agreed timeline. We've also included a slide here on some of the key commercial risks and what we're looking to do to mitigate these, as there's obviously been a lot of questions about this area. So in terms of supply chain and the increased delivery times for key materials and components, what we've undertaken there is a revision of our project planning process, such that we've brought forward the ordering of key components and materials to ensure that they still arrive as and when we need and to ensure there's no impact on project delivery. On inflation, we're looking to minimise that by reducing the time between contract signing and delivery commencement. Typically, we tender for contracts on an open tender basis. Uh, and once we've secured the work, we then revisit the pricing with our client and our suppliers. And assuming we're both happy, we then enter into a fixed price contract, both with the client and our supplier, mitigating that inflation risk. From a working capital perspective, by having those continual discussions with our clients, we're looking to minimise any surprises. And by doing so, we were actually able to secure early payment for those key components which we had to order early. So minimising our work and capital impact. From a key highest perspective, the use of our subcontract model protects us from the wider labour rate increases that others may have seen in the market. So just moving on to this year and uh, what's going on this year. Well, the thing I'd just sort of flag up is the fact that Net zero and decarbonisation are just getting embedded now into organisational targets. Local authorities, but also commercial clients, are setting their own targets for when they want to reach net zero. And this is driving their investment patterns. So I said, when we're talking about end-of-life systems, they want to try and choose the low-carbon solution each time. We also, at the time of IPO, talked about expansion into Northwest Europe. And what I'm pleased to say is at the moment that we have some targets that are identified and that investigation is going on right now to go and bring that into place. And if those come through, then we're making some announcements in HG. So this is an example of one of our projects. This is in Calderdale in Halifax. This was a great two listed site there, where essentially they wanted to decarbonize the supply of eating and hot water solution there. And they chose an air and water 
uh, heat pump mix there. You can see the image. The SOC pump being dropped on the roof. There's another one which is taking heat from the water side of it. The total contract value is 1.2 million, and that delivered just over 8,400 tons of carbon saved. So you can see in terms of cost effectiveness, but this is just under 150 pounds per ton of carbon. If you compare that to some of the insulation programs, then their cost effectiveness can be up to 300 pounds per ton. And this is why people have really looked at heat pumps as the key technology to decarbonize heat. In terms of water, just focus on the two areas. We talked about meter saving, as you can imagine, the water utilities are very interested in that. But the two RNSs that we gave are just worth explaining a little bit more. So the one a couple of weeks ago, we talked about net water neutrality. The idea basically on this is that in some areas in England, the water stress is such that actually the regulators don't want any new build housing to go forward because it increases demand on water and there just isn't the water available there. So the solution that they've identified is to upgrade existing properties to reduce the water consumption and create the headroom for the new build housing. It's a very innovative and very simple solution. And we've signed contracts now to deliver programs across the next three years with two of the local authorities there. What that allows us to go and do is that we're improving existing properties. As I say, what our technology is, it gives you fantastic control and produces the cold water flow rate going into a property there whilst maintaining user satisfaction. By doing so, we also reduce their hot water consumption. But simply, for example, they don't need as much hot water to get the right temperature in the shower, etc. So as a result, we reduce their energy bills as well as their water bills there. That's a really important win there for existing residents. For the new build, what it means is that rather than having to install solutions like rainwater harvesting systems and the like, they can actually just pay for these systems to be upgraded in existing properties. The second RNS we announced was Agritech. So if you imagine field of uh, sprinkler systems, the way to consider them is there are a set of taps that are open. The ones that are nearest the pump, the pressure is very high, and those crops get too much water. The ones in the middle are perfect. The ones at the end don't get enough water. So we developed a solution there to try and improve that system there. Combine that with some solar PV and also a solar pump to make it completely zero carbon irrigation there. And we've installed that in a number of test farms. These were seen by the state of Uttarakhand, who asked us for a proposal which they've accepted. And this is to upgrade 340 farms at a cost of just under £1 million. We're in conversation now with three of the states in India right now, and also in the state of Uttarakhand about follow-on projects. To give you a sense of scale there, Uttarakhand has 70,000 farms that they think are suitable for this type of solution there. We're bringing it as planned at the IPO into the EU. The trials will begin next year, and we'll do an entire crop cycle in calendar 2023 to determine the savings in both water, pesticide and fertilizer. And provided everything is correct and performs as we expected, then we'll bring it onto the marketplace in calendar 24.
So then just moving on to talk about uh, group revenue and forward visibility. As you can see, in the four months to the end of May, we've delivered revenue of 16 million. And for the rest of the year, we have 42.8 million of work, which is either contracted or secured with a further potential pipeline of 43 million against market revenue forecast for the year of 61 million. For FY24, we currently have 32 million of work, either contracted or secured, which currently gives us 45% coverage against forecast for that year with a further potential pipeline of 145 million. We would typically expect to start each financial year with 80% coverage of either contracted or secured work, and we'll update on the position when we present our H1 numbers. For those projects within that pipeline, one of our team members has typically been out on site, discussed with the client their requirements and their delivery timeframe, and would only include it in the pipeline if we still believe we have a greater than 50% chance of success in winning that work. Moving on then to talk about the growth strategy. Our growth strategy remains unchanged from that which we set out at the point of the IPO, being a combination of both organic and inorganic growth. Organic growth will see us continue to focus on those major contract wins, particularly on the energy side of the business, where we expect to see opportunities in both the commercial and domestic sectors. In addition, having made those investments in marketing and staffing resources, which we outlined at the IPO, and together with the ongoing uh, cost of living crisis and the UK Ukraine conflict, we see an increase in awareness in potential customers around the benefits of the heat pump-based solutions. On water, the drive for water efficiency is also creating opportunities, like the recent water neutrality contracts the test just mentioned. We've also continued to set up and establish our assembly plant in Toledo, and we expect this to come on stream in the second half of the year. In terms of new product development, that's continuing with the development of the new MetaSave product, which we talked about earlier, and the finalization of the Agritech product. On the inorganic side of things, this will still be as a result of M&A, either strategic bolt-on acquisitions or geographic expansion. And we're progressing in both areas. We currently have a bolt-on acquisition opportunity, which is progressing well. We have now identified and investigating acquisition targets in both the Netherlands and Germany. So in terms of conclusion, before we move on to questions, so FY22 for us was an exceptional year. And, you know, the numbers speak for themselves there. We met all the promises that we made at IPO. And that momentum has carried on through into this year. Where again, you can see our numbers and our targets and where we stand right now though. Looking into next year, again, we see that momentum carrying forward. People will say we work on end of life systems and people, those investments have to be made. So enough from Ian and myself at this point in time. Again, if you move on and just show some of the quotes from our clients, and if we take questions at this moment, please. Can you provide any more update on the contract win from state government of Uttarakhand in India or any other countries? We won the contract, they placed it with us and we're delivering it right now. So uh, as a company, we don't tend to announce every contract win that we make. We announce those which are either material because of size or they're taking us into a new segment or a related area there which is novel, such as net water neutrality or this first agri-tech wins there. There are conversations going on right now and they'll progress through in the normal manner. And following on from that, are there any more states you're talking to in India or other countries like UAE or Saudi Arabia? 
Sure. So we are talking to three of the states uh, in India at the moment. Uh, we have had an inquiry that's come in there, which we're looking at in the Middle East there, but that's probably uh, some time away, to be honest with you. Thank you. And what percentage of your order book is made up of contracted orders? Sure, we understand that question. The reason we don't show that is because, if you recall, we showed the way we manage inflation is that we secure orders, but we don't sign the contract until typically four weeks before we start the works. So those ones which are secured will move into contract signature, but that percentage is always moving on there. And we don't want to sign the contract until that point we're about to start, because otherwise we have an inflation risk. Thank you. You've got fantastic sales and EBITDA growth forecasts, but your forecast for year 23 and 24 adjusted earnings per share growth is less stellar. Would you mind explaining the key reasons for the difference? Sure, it's a very simple one. At IPO, uh, we are cautious as a company. Um, we, we are a very cautious company. We focus on hitting our targets. And if we see a better line coming out in 24, then you know we will update it when we come and present our H1 results. Thank you. And what's the revenue split between hardware, installation or labour and ongoing maintenance or consumables? And the second part of the question, what's the anticipated geographic split of revenues between the UK and other regions? Sure, the first, the, the last part of the question, uh, we're predominantly UK-based. That's going to continue through uh, this year as well, and then we'll see some changes coming forward from next year, probably. In terms of split, we don't do any maintenance uh, for any of the systems that we install. Um, we leave that to others then. In terms of the actual installation work, in terms of the split between uh, components and labour, uh, it's probably near around about sort of 50-50. I don't have the exact breakdown right now. There's a big variance in gross margin percentage between half one and half two, being 48% and 36% respectively. Why the variance? Um, so really that's just uh, a reflection of the, the projects that we were undertaking in the second half of the year. Uh, typically our clients uh, prefer to um, spend on the larger, more profitable projects in their se the second half of their own financial year. Uh, and that's reflects through in our numbers. Great, thank you very much. And do you get any requests to insert ground source heat pumps at the build stage? Um, we don't work in new build. Because? Um, we just don't. Our margins are better in retrofit. So there is requirements and people request um, because you will go and drill the, the boreholes for people, etc., at build stage and the like. Uh, but principally, we focus on retrofit. Thank you. And what's the difference between ground source pumps and air source pumps? Sure. So it's basically, it's where you're extracting the heat from. So an air source heat pump unit extracts heat from the air, and then it concentrates that heat to heat up the property there. What a ground source system does is that it circulates a closed loop or an open loop. So closed loop means it circulates a water salt mixture inside a pipe into the ground, and that absorbs heat from the ground. So it comes out, and that heat is then concentrated by the heat pump. So it performs slightly better in uh, colder times, in winter, etc., 
than an SRCPM system would do. But it is more complex and costly to install than an SRCPM unit. Are all the products protected by IP? Does the management consider this to be a moat? Or how else do they consider themselves in an advantageous position to competitors? Sure, I'll say two things. We, uh, we do have strong pattern protection um, into it, and we listed this out in our admission document uh, there. So there is strong pattern protection. There's ongoing development there where we see opportunities or it's appropriate as we develop products, and we'll, of course, seek pattern protection in that as well. The second area, though, of protection for us is really around the culture of our company. The people in our company have a focus around the quality of outcome quality of service for clients. And that really is a really, really big uh, barrier and uh, something that all of our clients remark upon. I've read differing viewpoints on ground source heat pumps. Do they really work? It all depends on your system design. A ground source heat pump isn't just a box that you fit. And if you've had a system that somebody has taken that sort of approach to, then there is a fair chance it's not going to work properly. You have to design the system to look at the ground conditions in terms of can you extract the heat that you need? Is a distribution system, if it's an apartment block, correctly designed and efficient? And are you going to get enough heat to all the heat pumps, even at the further stages of that system? To be honest, it's the same with any system that we do. District heating systems have similar issues as well. If you don't design it properly, then you will get problems. How do you avoid cables, gas mains, water pipes when retrofitting ground source pumps? Sure. So we have a technical survey done externally showing where the, uh, any uh, such pipes, etc. are laid out. There are also, finite, also detailed records that the statutory provider maintains there. The first few feet when you're digging a borehole, uh, it's always dug by hand just in case you come across something that you weren't expecting. And then after that certain first few feet there, you can then drill down, confident that you're unlikely to come across anything. You say a 50% win rate on tenders. Is that sustainable when you're competing alongside as many as, say, 15, 16, 25, or even 42 other bidders, as mentioned in the admission documents passage on the frameworks we're participating in? Sure. So the 50% refers to all of our wins. And when we talk about tenders, we also have single tenders where a client asks us to identify, price up something, and then they'll just simply award the contract work to us if they're happy with the price. So that's a direct award without going through a competitive process. For the larger framework pieces then, clients will go through that. But again, they'll go through a selection process and identify the companies that they want to come and bid there. If it's a very, very large open field, etc., then we'll look at that if we know what the client is like. We know the site, if it's an energy project there, and therefore we think there's a reasonable chance of success. But we won't bid where the chance of success is low. What are you expecting or targeting for long-term gross margins? Yeah, so uh, in terms of gross margins, I would expect them to uh, decline in this current year to around about the 33, 34% mark as uh, in the forecasts. And at that point, I would expect them to stabilise. So longer term, I would expect them to be around that 33, 34% margin moving forward. 
tremendous. Many thanks. And that is the end of questions. Mitesh, do you have any closing remarks? Fantastic, Thames. What can I just say? Thank you to everybody for their time today and allowing us to introduce our company or present it. And I look forward to working with you in the future. Thank you. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.